Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Louise, and today I'm going to be talking about how to talk to kids about toxic people. Now, you know, we're rolling here into the holiday season. American Thanksgiving is coming up pretty soon. And a lot of holiday energy is kind of centered on kids. And I think that was getting to me last night because I was literally dreaming about my thoughts on how to talk to kids about toxic people. <laughs> like that's the first time I've ever literally like been dreaming of like things I wanted to share on my podcast. <laughs> so um, that's interesting. But you know, like when I think of the holidays, I often reflect on my experiences as a kid. And I think it's kind of a time where we, we get in touch a little bit with who we were as children, which can be painful for a lot of us as survivors. And it can make things complicated if we're navigating kids today. So, you know, I want to be fully transparent with you guys right now. I don't have children right now. And I honestly haven't interacted with a lot of children and known that they were dealing with toxic people. So my, the things I'm going to share today is really grounded in the stuff that I would have liked as a kid of toxic parents. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know that both of my parents were toxic, but I did understand that my mother was toxic pretty early in my life. Um, her mental illness was very severe. It's probably still severe today, although I wouldn't know because I've been no contact for 12 years. But most of my childhood, her her mental illness was was quite bad, um, which meant like the way she was abusive to me were more over the top, which, you know, had this this result. I don't know if it's a good result or a bad result, but it, it didn't mean like I understood that she wasn't treating me the way most mothers treat their daughters. So I did have some understanding that one of my parents was toxic. Um, and I didn't, I did not know that my father was toxic. I didn't really come to understand that until um, I was close to 30 years old. So, you know, that one, that one's a much later in life realization. But here at the beginning, as a kid, I understood my mother was toxic and I was frustrated. I was frustrated a lot as, as a kid. And there are a lot of different reasons I was frustrated with that situation. One, it was just unjust, right? Like I didn't do anything to my mom and she was just treating me bad. Um, that was frustrating in and of itself. But one of the things that really irked me as a kid was that, you know, I would try to talk to adults about my situation and like no one would take me seriously like no one. <laughs> and like, I couldn't understand it. I, as a kid, I was pretty articulate. So like I had a pretty big vocabulary and I was pretty good at like putting words together. And, you know, like I read at a higher reading level or, or whatever. I don't know. None of those metrics like matter now. Right? <laughs> but like when I was a kid, these things seemed important. Um, I'm also like a fat person and I've pretty much been a fat person my whole life. And one way that society says is permissible if you're going to be a fat person is to be a smart fat person. And I really identified with that. I really took on the the identity of like, sometimes we call it like the smart fatty. Right? Like this, There's a couple ways. You can also be a funny fatty. That's like another way society says it's permissible to exist in a fat body. You can also be like... Um, like extremely feminine as a fatty, like where you, you know, you do a lot of makeup. That's, that's kind of leaning into the like 
oh, you have a pretty face, which is totally an insult and not an appropriate thing to say to a fat person. Um, but anyway, so there, there were a bunch of different ways you could kind of exist in a way that kind of, you know, you could perform in ways that would justify your existence in this fat body. And I definitely went hard into the smart fatty uh, strategy, a little bit into the funny fatty. You can probably see that somewhat now in my, my Instagram content and stuff. But okay, so I leaned hard into the smart stuff. And part of that meant I was articulate. Like people would guess that I was much older than I was a lot of the time growing up. And, you know, I'd get that stuff like, oh, well, you're an old soul, which is kind of a way to say like you had to grow up too fast. And, you know, that's probably because of something traumatic, but I don't want to deal with that. So I'm just going to say you're an old soul, um, beautiful and disgusting all at the same time. <laughs> so, you know, we 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 had that going on and i would try really hard to use all of the skills that i developed in terms of my vocabulary and my ability to put ideas together and i would try to get adults to understand the situation i was in at home you know it was really a struggle for me because i didn't i didn't have a lot of like the the outward red flags that a lot of children of toxic people have. My grades were good. Um, I had some stable social relationships, like with friends. Um, I didn't, you know, usually I didn't come to school with really dirty clothing or those things. In reality, that happened much more than, um, you know, was called out. It did get called out a little bit in fourth grade. Um, I got called out for having really stinky socks. Cause I was, I was in charge of my own laundry since a really young age. And it turns out, you know, children are not always reliable to do laundry when, you know, they're in fourth grade and things like this. So, um, we had some of that, we had some of that, but in general, I didn't have a lot of the red flags that make people stop and think like, oh, maybe something bad is happening at home. I was like pretty functional by society's standards. So that meant that when I did share some of the negative things that were happening to me as a kid, they would get dismissed, right? Like the adults around me would say like, oh, well, you know, you, you just don't understand what's going on. Or they would just be like, oh, well, you know, I know you, you think that, but it's probably not true. Sometimes they would try to defend my parent and be like, oh, well, all parents are like that. <laughs> like They would do stuff that was basically wildly unhelpful um, and at times just completely damaging. So I was really, I was really frustrated by that because I thought as a kid, if I could just speak like an adult, they would listen to me the way they listen to other adults. And that wasn't true. That is not what happened. So, you know, the, what we're talking about today is how should we speak to kids who are dealing with toxic parents. And I think the first thing I would say, if, if whether it's your child or just a child you know of who's dealing with this stuff, I would say first and foremost, help them feel heard. Help them feel listened to. This stuff would like drive me up the wall as a kid. Like I could not figure out why, no matter how well I communicated, people just dismissed me. And like, I don't want that for any kid out there who's dealing with toxic people. So please 
try to help them feel heard. What does that mean? That means create a safe space for them to share, right? They need to, they need to be in a place where they, if they share, there's not going to be like negative repercussions, right? It, it means listening to what they're saying and maybe reflecting it back to them, right? It means, it means having them share it and they can recognize in you that you are comprehending what they're saying and you are taking it seriously, right? It means regulating yourself while the, the, the child's talking to you, right? Like this can be a challenging thing, especially if you're a survivor and you've dealt with toxic people. And if you dealt with toxic people as a kid, it can be really upsetting to listen to a child explain situations that you see yourself in. So that's when it's really important to start like you as the adult, you need to take some deep breaths you need to monitor your own mental health, your own well-being, and make sure that you don't push any of your stuff onto the kid, right? That's part of the challenge here of being an adult. We got to take care of ourselves first and make sure that we're not asking the kid to do any of that emotional labor for us. This was a thing that was super screwed up about my, my father and mine's relationship, which probably now I would describe as codependent, but I didn't, I didn't have those words at the time. Um, you know, like he would share a lot about his experiences with my mother and that just like, it really wasn't that appropriate, right? Like I was a kid, I shouldn't have felt emotionally responsible for my father. And I definitely felt that way. Now, I would also share with him about my experiences with her and we would, you know, we would commiserate at times and, you know, we would, we would talk about those things and he would, he would express, you know, sympathy for my situation and these sorts of things, which endeared me to him. Um, but in general, there was way too much emotional labor that I was doing as a child for this adult who was making choices to be in the situation that he was in. So we want to be mindful of that. We don't want to push that kind of work on the kids. The kids are already dealing with enough. There's tons for them to do. They don't need to also be taking care of, of us. So maybe that means if you are going to regularly interact with a kid who's dealing with toxic people, maybe that means you make sure that you've got your therapy in place. You've got your, your social network to support you. Maybe you have a coach to help you get through that. You want to make sure that you are taking care of yourself first so that you can show up openly and honestly with this kid so that they can feel safe sharing their experiences and actually being heard. Okay, so that's that's one big idea. Um, we're going to take a little break, and I've, I've got a, a couple other ideas to share with you guys, so, so stick around. So we talked about making sure that any kid in your life who's dealing with toxic people is authentically heard and listened to by you. That's a really great thing. If you can just manage that, that's already a lot. Like that's already doing really great. Um, but I do think there's opportunities to do more as a supportive adult in um, these kids' lives. And the the biggest thing that I would I would encourage people to do here is to actually pick up some tools from philosophy. So, you know, we're not, we're not going to go deep dive into the, into the land of philosophy here, but 
there's a lot of tools and philosophy to help us explore ideas and to develop our own thinking about difficult topics. Now, if you've got a kid who has a toxic mother, right, they, they are wrestling with some giant ideas. They, they're working on issues and like, what does it really mean for somebody to love me? What does it even mean that this person's my mom? Why is my mom different than other moms? These are naturally philosophic questions. And depending on the age of, of the kid, they, they might be at a stage where they are actually very naturally asking philosophic questions. One thing that's interesting about philosophy is um, we tend to be super good at it when we're kids, especially if we're like uh, preteens or like, you know, kind of it's somewhere between middle school. We, we stop being quite as open to asking these questions. Like by the time we hit high school, we've kind of been trained like, oh, you know, everybody gets mad at me if I ask why is this the case? And like, we start to lose it a little bit because of social pressure. But you know, middle school and earlier kids tend to really be able to, to ask these deep questions that are based on their lived experience. And that is a beautiful thing about children. That is a great thing about them. And this is actually a tool that can be kind of leverage to help kids get through these really dark negative experiences. So what I want to recommend is actually a little bit of the, the method used in something called philosophy for kids. So philosophy for kids is, uh, it's like a, it's kind of a program. It's like a genre. It, it's across the, the United States. There are different philosophy for kids programs, and they're all oriented at helping kids think through really big, important questions. Questions like what is love and what does it mean to treat someone right? So in these uh, philosophy for kids programs, there are some specific strategies that um, experts use to kind of help kids work through these ideas. And the one I'm going to share with you today is, is one of, I think, the simpler ones to use. And it comes from the Socratic method. So if you don't know, Socrates is like a very famous Western philosopher. Um, he was like an ancient Greek dude. And like he's he's famous for creating some of the, the foundational works in Western philosophy. Okay. So what he used to do is he'd like wander around the marketplace, um, in his town and he would just like talk to people about philosophic issues and <laughs> he would like ask them questions and stuff. He would basically annoy them. Um, he eventually became the target of political, um, like, like, politicians was were suspicious of him and eventually that's that's how he died he was being punished because they were seeing him as a threat um i'm not i'm not really good at history and stuff that was my dad's thing so like i apologize if you like actually know a lot about Socrates and i just butchered it um but like the basic idea is like he would wander around the the agora the marketplace and he would we'd have these conversations with people about different philosophic ideas and he would meet people where they were in terms of like, you know, like this guy's selling uh, pottery, right? He's selling like, like pots to, to cook with and stuff. And so he didn't come up to them and be like, hey, what's the meaning of life? You know, that's a little aggressive. Instead, he started talking about like, oh, well, what, are, what are you selling today? And he would kind of slowly build up this conversation to be really about rich philosophic ideas. And the way he did that was through just asking questions. 
They were curious questions. They were honest questions. Um, sometimes for Socrates, they were questions that were trying to point the conversation to go a specific direction. Um, but they don't, they don't have to be right. So the Socratic method is, is like a teaching approach where all you do is ask curious questions, right? You don't, you ideally when we're working with kids who are experiencing abuse or experiencing, uh, toxic people, you know, we don't want to push a lot of our own thinking, a lot of our own ideas onto them. It's important that the kids kind of walk this path for themselves. And one way you can help yourself um, and help the kid work through their own ideas is by just asking these gentle, curious questions. And what, what does that look like? Well, let's say that like you, you have a kid that comes to you, they're dealing with like, let's say a toxic mom, right. And they come up to you and they're like, Hey, uh, you know, my, my mom didn't come to, uh, pick me up from school the way she said she would. And it made me really mad. And, you know, you listen to, to the kid and, and you say, you know, like you acknowledge what they said and like, yeah, it sucks that your, that your mom didn't do that. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think happened? And the kid like explains like, oh, well, she, she probably got busy and she's supposed to like set an alarm on her phone. And I, I bet she just didn't do that, but it made me feel like I, she just doesn't like even care about me. And, you know, you, you acknowledge that maybe and say like, yeah, I can, I can understand that. You know, what, what do you think, like, what would it look like if she did care about you in this situation? right? And the kid responds. And then you ask like, so what do you think that means about, you know, caring for other people? Like in general, how should we care for other people? Right? And there's this feedback between what the kid's going to say and the kind of question that you ask. And what you're trying to do is just get the conversation to, to move towards these kind of general ideas. Like what, what does it mean to care for someone? What does it mean to show someone love? Right. And you're just kind of helping the kid think through what was my experience and then what does it mean? Right. We're working on making meaning of these situations. This is really important because, you know, a lot of times as kids, we assume that, you know, like mom did this thing because she doesn't, she doesn't love me or she doesn't like me or I did something wrong and that's why she's mad at me. Right, we take on a lot of ownership as kids that like I'm the cause of this. And what we want to do is kind of show kids how to think through these ideas in a curious way so that they notice there are different possibilities to explain why the situation happened. Right? So we're we're giving them like a structure through this curious question, this curious questioning. We're showing them here's how you can kind of walk through some of these ideas and we're letting them really guide us, right? So a really important thing when you're doing anything with philosophy for kids is that you are not inserting yourself into the conversation too much, right? You aren't sharing like, well, here's my idea of what it would mean to love someone, right? In general, you're just trying to ask questions to help the kid that you're working with develop their own ideas. I think that this is really important for kids who are dealing with toxic people to, to work on this skill, because if we just rely on the ideas that society hands us or the ideas that maybe our family has handed us, 
uh, we are very likely to have to suffer more than we would if we developed our own way of thinking. Right. Society is kind of based on this idea. Everybody has a nuclear family and everyone's going to get together and everybody's going to be great. And moms and dads never do anything wrong. And, you know, we always show up for each other and we love each other. If you are a kid with a toxic parent, that's not your experience. <laughs> it's just like not what's happening. Uh, there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of people mistreating you and you don't really understand why. And that's that can be really overwhelming. But we can model for kids how they can kind of walk through thinking about these ideas so that when they do get to that place where they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, their first instinct can be to ask a curious question rather than to blame themselves for the situation, rather than to give in to feeling miserable and hopeless about everything that's going on. Right? So when we make or when we give that kid that that tool, that opportunity to learn how to take from their experience and think about these really big topics, we're giving them tools to find their own path to freedom from the values of society, from the values of family, you know, to finding different explanations for what's going on so that they don't end up as hopeless you know, this isn't, it's not a magic spell, right? Like it's not, this isn't going to like fix everything for a child of toxic people. Absolutely not. Like, it's just, it's not like that. But what we can do is kind of plant some seeds using the Socratic method, these curious questions to really help these kids develop their own natural ability to make sense of their circumstances. Now, if you're skeptical that this is going to work, um, you know, spoiler alert, like, this is basically what I do a lot of times for the clients that I work with. I hold space for them. I hold space to acknowledge the suffering that they've endured. I hold space to make them feel safe and seen and heard. And then I, I help them ask questions. I help them explore what their experiences are and what that means in, in the bigger picture. This whole activity helps us make sense of this very difficult and dark things. When we can make sense of that, it's easier for us to just kind of set down the thinking parts and start working on the feeling parts. The feeling parts are less overwhelming, though, when we have that kind of sense-making activity more under control. So this, this stuff works, guys. It works a lot, okay? Trying to approach difficult situations with curious questions uh, rather than trying to fix problems, that's, that's not going to work. Like a kid's going to pick up on if you're just listening so that you can give a, a solution to the problem. If you know anything about toxic people, you know there's not going to be like an easy solution. And if there is, a kid is probably not going to be able to do it, right? Some people think going no contact is an easy solution, but like if you are a minor, right? If you legally are not an adult yet, you can't fully go no contact if the person is your parent. Maybe with the exception of like if you're 16 and you can, you know, leave the home. Like in some cases there are ways, but for most children, you know, going no contact is not a really viable option. So we're not going to find easy solutions 
to these sort of situations. Of course, you can keep an ear out on the situation and listen to what the kid is sharing with you. And if you feel it is necessary to get something like child protective services involved, that is an option for you as an adult, you know, in this space. Um, but first and foremost, we gotta, we gotta try to help the kid now. We gotta try to help them in their situation. And I think for a lot of kids that help isn't about fixing the situation. In fact, sometimes kids like really don't even want solutions, right? Like kids are like, when I was a kid, I would really struggle sometimes when people would say bad things about my mother. You know, like my father would say bad things about her. You know, my um, sometimes my extended family would say bad things. And there were moments on my journey where I wanted to defend my mother. I wanted to say like, no, she's actually a good mom. Like I wanted that. And in, you know, today's world, I don't think I can really say that she was a good mother in basically any sense. Um, so you know, like I understand why people were being critical of her, but as a kid, you have to work through those things in your own time, on your own journey, right? So it's not necessarily helpful for the adults to be dropping opinions on you about what your parents are or are not doing. So we want to resist the, the urge to fix it. We want to resist the urge to drop opinions here and there. And I really think one of the very best things we can do is just model to kids, show kids how they can work through some of the ideas that they're exploring. And I think the Socratic method is a really good way to do that. It's not the only way to do that. If you're interested in learning more, um, of course, I invite you to Google philosophy for kids. There's actually lots of different tools out there um, to kind of help navigate this. So that's like one, one option. Um, but I think what's, what's really important here, if, if you're dealing with a kid who has toxic people in their life, I think number one priority is giving them a space to feel safe and heard. Um, that is hard to find as a kid dealing with toxic people. So providing that's like top priority. Then if you feel able and you're going to be able to have uh, more of a long-term relationship with this child, I would encourage you to help them think through their ideas without you sharing your opinions too much. Right? I think that that's a really, that's a really good balance. So, you know, we're going into the holiday season, like I said, at the start, and, you know, I want you to to notice, uh, you know, how you're feeling about your childhood as you as you work through this season. I want you to notice um, if there are children in your lives who are dealing with toxic people. I want you to, to try to hold a little bit of space for those guys. Um, you know, if you are working on reparenting your inner child, I'd encourage you maybe to use some of the tools even that I've talked about here uh, to help that that little girl or that little boy or um, you know, that little non-binary human being, like encourage them to, to feel safe. Uh, you know, that's, that's really what this is all about. As survivors really have a hard time feeling safe. And I think for the majority of us, it's really got to be top, top priority, um, whether we're actively dealing with toxic people or not. So, you know, I hope that you found this episode helpful. Um, last week, I actually held a masterclass on surviving the holiday season. And, you know, it went, it went really good. In fact, it, it was so 
you know, I, I feel like it was so useful. I got a lot of positive feedback. I'm actually going to make that available um, to you guys. So you could like purchase the recording. Um, so the, the details are going to be in the description of this episode. Um, but I really want to just get that stuff out there so that you guys have support as you navigate this holiday season. So, you know, thanks so much for listening and I will catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.